James Anderson, he's an ordained minister in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. He comes from Edinburgh, Scotland. There's been spent time there. Were you born there? Or you no. Did, no, but Scotland was your birthland. I didn't ask no. you this. No? no? Where were you born? England. Born in England. Okay, good. But he's uh, spent some time in Edinburgh, has pastored there, uh, so knows pastoral ministry, but is now at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as we strive to do in our Bible conference, we look forward to uh, bringing individuals who have uh, invested unique time and understanding of particular topics, and that can then, uh, in a unique way, help us. We labor hard at teaching and preaching in this church. It's, it's certainly a, an emphasis that we have. But there's a, a, a pastoral ministry that allows you only a certain way of presenting the truth and some uh, ideas because just of time and focus. And there's a unique opportunity that we can find those who have been able to invest more into uh, various areas of expertise. Uh, we all need to be equipped and growing, and we're just thankful that we can kind of bring those two together today and uh, thankful for the way that the Lord has equipped James and enabled him to come to be with us. He leaves his family behind, his work behind, his world behind to minister to us here by the providence of God. And so we look forward uh, to the time together. There's a meeting tonight. Don't forget that. Obviously this morning as well, but uh, tonight and then also on Monday night. So be thinking ahead on that. Uh, going out to church on Monday nights about the weirdest thing you can do, right? <laughs> Who does that? But we do that this one time a year. So I encourage you to think about that on Monday night and then be praying for the pastor's seminar. A good number have uh, signed up and are planning to attend, and we look forward to really an important conversation there as well on Monday, so, or on Tuesday uh, morning and early afternoon. So please be praying for that. Uh, James, we welcome you. Grateful you're here. God's blessing. Come ahead and speak to us today. Well, thank you, Dan, and uh, good morning to everyone, and thank you for uh, having me to come and uh, share some material with you uh, over this uh, weekend. Uh, this is my first time in the great state of Minnesota. And I knew that if I was ever going to visit Minnesota, then the first place I wanted to be was Burnsville. So uh, very, very pleased to, that's one thing off my bucket list. Well, uh, good morning, everyone, again, and uh, thank you for coming out for this, uh, uh, I don't know what you call this, uh, sort of a, a adult uh, class uh, before the service. And the theme this weekend is going to be uh, worldviews. Uh, if you had a look at the schedule and some of the titles, you'll know uh, what um, the, the general topic is going to be. And uh, in this first session this morning, uh, I want to talk in general terms about what worldviews are and why they matter and how we can think about worldviews and how that will help us to think about some other things. Let me find my, my magic wand here so I can advance these slides. Okay, let's see. There we go. So, uh, just to introduce the topic, this is, this is a, an aerial view of the, uh, of the street where I live. 
in South Charlotte. Uh, this is courtesy of, of Google Maps. I, I pinched this off the internet a number of years ago. And uh, one of those houses there you see is, is mine. Uh, I'm not going to tell you right away which one it is, otherwise you'll be scrutinizing the lawn and comparing it to the, the other houses there. Um, but we moved into this street uh, nearly 10 years ago. And uh, when we moved in, there was a quite surprising diversity of nationalities represented in this relatively small street in the city of Charlotte. There were Americans, of course, a number of households with uh, American families. Uh, there were some Brits. Well, now you know which house is mine, right? <laughs> we, we were the British, the British family, the British uh, immigrants. Uh, we had uh, a family with uh, Russians. Uh, there were uh, next to us, uh, the, at least one of the, the couple living next to us was Jamaican, so we had uh, the Caribbean represented there. On the other side of us, we had Cubans, uh, and uh, down the street from us, we had an Israeli, from the, uh, the uh, uh, country of Israel, and uh, across the road, we had a couple who were German and Polish, German and Polish, so that was quite a combination. No, no hard feelings over World War II in that household, thankfully, so it just goes to show if a German and a Pole can, can, can make it work out, then there's hope for anyone. But just as, just as diverse in this street were the religious outlooks, not just the nationalities, but the religious outlooks represented in this street. There were uh, some evangelical Christians. Of course, we were evangelical, are evangelical Christians. There was another family who, who shared an evangelical faith. Uh, there were some Russian Orthodox. You can probably guess which household the Russian Orthodox were in. Uh, there were some lapsed Roman Catholics. There were some observant Jews, that is, Jews who, who would go to the uh, synagogue once a week, although it turned out they were pretty theologically liberal Jews, but that was their profession. There were some secular Jews. There was a Muslim couple uh, living in our street, and there were also some, some atheists, some agnostics, and some who we, we just didn't really know what they believed. Um, if you've ever come across the term moralistic therapeutic deism, if you've ever heard that uh, phrase, uh, that's probably represented what, what they uh, believed, a sort of uh, very generic view of God and everybody's going to heaven. It doesn't really matter what you believe more than that. Well, things changed a little bit over the years. Uh, four years ago, the Russians moved out and uh, into that house moved a family of Indians. That's the Indian flag there. And they are observant Hindus. Uh, this was discovered by my daughter very quickly uh, when she went and asked them, what church do you go to? Well, they didn't go to church. Uh, they worshipped at home, and they had a sort of altar or shrine in their home. Um, but they, they, they follow the Hindu religion. But our street was and is almost a microcosm of Western culture today. It illustrates the quite bewildering diversity of outlooks or worldviews that we find around us today. And that presents some real challenges. That presents some real challenges for Christian witness and Christian discipleship. And so what I'm going to talk about today, uh, both in this morning session and uh, to a degree in my sermon this morning and then uh, evening and tomorrow night, uh, I'm going to talk about why it is helpful to think in terms of worldviews when we come to engage in, in outreach, in evangelism, in discipleship, in a pluralistic post Christian culture, which is the reality of where we are today. 
So this uh, first session is really going to be some introduction to some terms and some ideas to help us think through some of these issues. So starting with the idea of a worldview, what in the world is a worldview? You've maybe heard the term before, but I want to be a bit more precise about what I mean by it. Here's a simple definition. A worldview is a way of viewing the world, a way of viewing the world. It's not a physical view of the world, like you might get if you went up to the uh, International Space Station and you looked out of the window at planet Earth, you would have, in a sense, a view of the world, but that's not what we mean here. A worldview is a philosophical view of the world, a philosophical view of the world, and not just our planet, planet Earth, but in fact, everything all of reality. A worldview is an all-encompassing perspective on everything that exists and matters to us. Here's a more uh, detailed definition of a worldview. A worldview is a network of ultimate beliefs, ideas, values, and assumptions about the world and our place in it that uh, shapes how a person understands their life and experiences, and the lives and experiences of others, and how that person acts in response. So it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, something about the way we think that includes our beliefs and ideas and values and the assumptions that we make about the world and our place in it, and, and it serves as a, as a means of interpreting the world, understanding the world, and also it affects how we respond, how we live in response to how we understand the, our experiences of the world. A world is some, uh, a worldview is sometimes called a world and life view, a world and life view, because it's not just about how you see the world, but how you live in the world. But just to keep things sort of compact, uh, I'm just going to use the term worldview. So what do we need to know about worldviews? Well, here's the first thing we need to know about worldviews. Everyone has one. Everyone has a worldview. Worldviews are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. Uh, we just don't talk about them uh, all the time. Uh, in fact, perhaps a better analogy would be worldviews are like cerebellums. You know what a cerebellum is? Cerebellum is part of your brain, okay? Um, you may not know that you have a cerebellum, but I'm telling you that you do, because if you didn't, you wouldn't be here this morning. Cerebellum is a very important part of your brain. Uh, everyone has a cerebellum, but not everybody knows that they have one. And even if they don't know they have one, they still have one, and they still depend on it. And worldviews are like that. Everyone has one, whether they know it or not. So the question isn't so much whether, whether someone has a worldview, but rather, what kind of worldview do they have? They may not be aware of it, they may not have thought it through, but they will have a worldview of some kind. If you are a Christian, then you ought to have a Christian worldview, a Christian worldview. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, actually. There are many people in our society today who profess to be Christians, they identify themselves as Christians, but actually the worldview that they have is not a Christian worldview, at least not an orthodox biblical Christian worldview. But that's what Christians ought to have. A worldview involves what I call big question beliefs. Big question beliefs. Beliefs that address or answer the big questions of life. The, the, the sort of questions that people have asked since the dawn of time. Is there a God? And if so, what is God like? And how do I relate to God? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Does life have any purpose? What is the purpose of my life? Is, is this world that we see with our senses real or not? I imagine most people in this room look around and, uh, and see things and we think that's real. I can touch it, I can 
I can uh, feel things, I can hear things, that's reality. Actually, there are certain worldviews that teach that uh, the world of sense experience isn't reality, it's an illusion, and there's something other than that that's the true reality. Some Eastern religions take that view. But that's a, that's a big question. Is the world that we see the world as it really is? Is that what is ultimate or not? So these are the sort of big question beliefs that a worldview addresses. What that means is not every belief that a person has is part of their worldview. We have a lot of beliefs, all of us, but not all of those are part of our worldview. It's only those beliefs that have a real foundational, philosophical, or religious significance that would be part of our worldview. So if you have the belief that American football is the greatest sport ever invented, that belief is not part of your worldview, or at least it shouldn't be. If it is, there's something wrong with you. You've, you've put too much, too much significance on American football. So we have lots of beliefs, but it's only the ones about the, the, what we would call our ultimate beliefs, or the big question beliefs that are part of our worldview. Now, a worldview functions rather like an, an intellectual filter, or to use a, a, an analogy, a pair of spectacles, a pair of spectacles through which we see the world. A worldview affects what you see in the world and how you see it, not so much in a literal visual sense, but rather in terms of how you think about it, how you interpret things in the world. Let me illustrate this in a few ways, and uh, I'll start with a visual analogy. So this is, this is just an analogy. This isn't literally how a worldview works. But here's, a, here's a, a message depicted on the screen, a message that reflects the world as it really is, as we Christians believe it is. There's the message. There's wisdom in our God's book. There's wisdom in our God's book. And that message is multicolored, maybe to illustrate the uh, variety and diversity of the world as God has created it. Now, what I would like you to do at this point, at least ideally, would be to take a pair of green colored spectacles and look at the screen right now. If In an ideal world, if I could afford to provide this, I would give you all at this point in time a, a, a pair of spectacles with green lenses. Um, so what I want you to do is imagine what would happen if you put those on. I'm going to help you by simulating what it would look like. If you were to put on a pair of green tinted spectacles right now, this is what you would see. A very different message, right? There is no God, okay? That's what happens when you're looking, through, looking at the world through the wrong worldview. If you're looking at the world, if you're looking at reality through the wrong worldview, you become blind to some things. Some things get overemphasized. Some things get underemphasized. Some things get distorted or misinterpreted. And that's what's happened in this case. The message has changed because someone's looking through tinted, distorted lenses, the wrong worldview. Now, that's just a visual analogy, of course, but uh, let me give you a real-life uh, analogy of how worldviews affect people's thinking. Uh, let's suppose that someone in this church uh, becomes very critically ill all, all, all of a sudden. Uh, let's say it's a lady in this church, someone who's uh, been in the church a long time, and, and uh, everybody is, uh, knows her well and very fond of her, and this lady um, suddenly becomes very critically ill and is taken to hospital. And the doctors do some tests and they say she is in a very, very serious condition. Um, we don't know what has caused this, but we do know that if this isn't resolved in 24 hours, she's going to be dead. That's how serious this is. 
and uh, they investigate. They cannot find out the cause. They try various treatments. None of it is successful, and the doctors say, I'm so sorry, there's nothing more that we can do. Um, if something doesn't change radically, then this, this woman is going to, be, going to be dead within a day. What does, a, what does your church do in a situation like that when you get the news? Pray, thank you. Yes, you're going to pray. You're going to pray fervently. You're going to pray urgently. You might even get together as a church. You might gather in this building and, and pray, maybe even uh, organize a prayer vigil through the night because of the urgency of the situation. Well, imagine if you do that. You, you, you get The church comes together in prayer. You pray through the night. And then in the early hours of the morning, you get the news that this latest situation has changed. It's turned around. She started to improve. It's a complete surprise. It's, a com it's completely unexpected. And then in the course of the next few hours, she comes out of critical condition into a stable condition. And the doctors say she's going to make it. She's going to, she's going to get through this. And in fact, within a couple more days, she's made a full recovery. And the doctors can't explain it. The doctors say, it's nothing that we did. Uh, we can't explain this, this recovery. And some, some doctors might even use the M word, miracle. They might even say, you know, as far as we're concerned, this is, this is a miracle. They might not mean it literally, but they have no other word to describe it. So think about the sequence of events. This, this lady became critically ill. The doctors didn't know how to, uh, to save her. They didn't know how to treat her, how to resolve this condition. Your church prayed, and then after that, this lady made a recovery. How do you interpret that, cause, that series of events? How would you interpret them? Thank you. God answered the prayer. Uh, you prayed and God answered. You're going to say God, God intervened, and he didn't do it, as it were, randomly. It was in response to your prayers. So you prayed, and there was, there was a, a recovery. God answered those prayers. Well, you and everyone in your church, I think, would be very excited if this was happening. You'd be praising God for this amazing answer to prayer. And uh, you're really stoked about it, and, and, and you go to work that fo the following week, and you have a colleague at your work uh, let's call him Jimmy, and uh, Jimmy is an atheist, okay, and he's one of these really um, uh, vocal atheists who's a big fan of Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and all these new atheist guys, and he reads all their books, and he's always criticizing religion as superstition and wishful thinking and so forth, and it's not like he's, he's, a, he's a, a, a nasty person, but this is just his hobby horse, and he's often poking fun at you for your, for your Christian beliefs, and you say to him, Jimmy, I've got an amazing story to tell you. Just wait till you hear this. There was a lady in our church. She, was in, uh, she, she became critically ill. She went to the hospital. The doctors did a bunch of tests. They said she's going to die within 24 hours. There's nothing we can do. They, they tried all the treatments they had available to, to, to them. Nothing, nothing could help her. We got together as a church. We prayed for her. And, and within hours, she started to make a recovery. And now she's made a full recovery. And you can, uh, you can ask the doctors. You can ask people in the church. It's amazing. This, this, this surely is a miraculous answer to prayer. And, uh, and Jimmy says to you, yeah, yeah, that is amazing. I, I, I guess there is a God after all. What time is your service on Sunday morning? Well, he might, he might say that. He might say that. But you and I know that's probably unlikely. He's going to say something else. He's going to say something like, it's a coincidence. Uh, he's going to say, uh, the doctors misdiagnosed it, or um, there's, some, there's some explanation for this. There's some natural explanation for this, but we just don't know what it is yet. That, by the way, is the, the faith of an atheist right there. So there's, some, there's some natural explanation. We just haven't found out what it is. 
But he'll probably say, in the course of time, as science progresses, we'll understand why these things happen. We don't need God to explain these things. We don't need prayer to explain these things. There's some natural scientific explanation for it. And he'll be quite satisfied with that. Now, what's going on there? What's, what's happened here? Because if you think about it, the events themselves aren't in dispute. Uh, no one would dispute that this, this lady went to hospital. No one would dispute that the doctors said what they said and that they had their medical opinion. No one's going to argue that your church came together to prayer. Now, Jimmy might not think that prayer is actually doing anything. He'll say you're just you know, speaking up into the air. There's nothing really there. But the fact that you prayed is there. And the, the lady made a recovery. So all of the facts are there. All of the facts are available. And yet, what's happened here? We've got very different interpretations of the facts. You and Jimmy interpret those series of events in very different ways, and the reason for those different interpretations is a different worldview. A different worldview. You have a Christian worldview. That's how you think about the world. You believe that there's a God who answers prayer, who can do powerful things in the world, whereas he is probably a naturalist. A naturalist who says, no, the physical universe is all there is. There's no God. There's no, nothing supernatural. Everything has to be explained in physical, scientific terms. Different worldviews lead to very different interpretations of the world. So a worldview functions like a filter, spectacles. It affects what you see and how you see it. And since worldviews affect how people do see the world and how they interpret the world, worldviews largely determine people's opinions on matters of ethics and politics and social policy and the like. Just think of some of the big issues that are debated uh, in our society today. Uh, abortion, the sanctity of life, uh, euthanasia, same-sex relationships, gender identity, public education, the role of government, economic policy, foreign aid, the use of military force, environmentalism, animal rights, the use of genetic enhancement and, and other new technologies. All of these things are debated, and where people come down on these issues will be determined more than anything else by their worldview, their fundamental view of the world and what is ultimate and what their ultimate values are. So it's a big deal what, a person, what kind of a worldview a person has, how they think about the world. Now, people have different worldviews. In fact, even in this room, if we went around and sort of asked how people would answer the, the ultimate questions, there'd be a lot of agreement because we're, we're all, most of us, I assume, uh, Christian believers. We share the same basic worldview. But there can be variations. There can be little variations between people's worldviews. But even though that people have different worldviews, they tend to fall into distinct types, distinct types or categories of worldview. Think of, think of worldviews a little like uh, cars, okay? You get people driving different cars, but some people drive the same model of car. So back in, in Charlotte, I have a Honda Civic. I drive a Honda Civic. Uh, maybe my neighbor's got a Honda C Civic too, uh, even the same year, the same model. Those cars are not going to be identical. I'm going to have some scratches where he doesn't have scratches and so forth. But our cars are the same model compared with the guy down the street who drives a BMW. Okay? So we might have different cars, but we have the same model. It's like that with worldviews. People have their own worldview, but there are certain models or types of worldview. And the Christian worldview is one type. Um, those, there is such a thing as what we would call the Christian 
worldview, and that would be the worldview that's reflected in Scripture, in the Bible. So people have worldviews that fall into certain types, and uh, if you uh, come back this evening for the evening session, we'll talk about some specific types of non-Christian worldviews that we encounter in the world today. Now, can a person change their worldview? Are you stuck with your worldview for life, or can you change your worldview? No, you aren't stuck with the same worldview all of your life. People do change their worldviews. For example, atheists. There are atheists who become Christians. One of my best friends uh, was uh, an atheist for uh, the first part of his life, and he had a fairly dramatic conversion, became a Christian. His worldview changed. His worldview changed dramatically. But it's hard. It's hard to change your worldview. A worldview is a bit like a house, just to switch metaphors for a moment. I said worldviews are like cars. Well, now let's say worldviews are like houses. Okay? You, you live in a house, and you're probably quite comfortable with your home where you live. Uh, that's how things are. You, you move into a new, a new home, and you get very comfortable with it, and you make it your own. And it's relatively easy to make small-scale changes. You might get new carpets. You might redecorate. You might decide to move your, your couch from one side of the living room to the other side of the living, living room so that you can see your 80-inch HDTV a little better. And then you decide it doesn't work, so you move the couch back. No big deal. You make small changes to your home. But if you have to actually move out of your home to a brand new home, that is, that is hard. That's a traumatic experience for many people. In fact, often when you see lists of what are the most uh, traumatic events in people's lives, often moving home is, is one of those. And even if you just have to move across town, that can be uh, difficult. I had to move across an ocean from the United Kingdom to the United States. That was traumatic. That was hard. I had to have a good reason to do that. And so, so it is with worldviews. Making small changes, tweaks to your worldview isn't too difficult. But changing your entire worldview is hard because it's traumatic. People get comfortable with their worldviews. They get used to seeing the world in a certain way and to ask them to see it in a different way, a radically different way, can be very, very difficult. Changing your worldview is part of what we would call religious conversion. Religious conversion. Now, from a biblical perspective, conversion is far more than a change of worldview. It's a, a deep internal spiritual change, but it's no less than a change of worldview. Typically, when someone comes to Christ, when someone is born again, they see the world in a different way. They have a different worldview. If your worldview didn't change when you became a Christian, then, then something, something went wrong somewhere. So it's a big deal. It's, it's tantamount to a conversion to, to change your entire worldview. Now, why do I think that the idea of a worldview is important? Why, why would I spend time coming to this part of the world to teach on the topic of worldviews? Well, here are some of the benefits, some of the advantages of thinking in terms of worldviews, our own worldview and the worldviews of others. Here's the first benefit. Christians are called to think Christianly. Now, I don't think that's a real word. I don't think you can go to Merriam-Webster and find the word Christianly there. I, I kind of made it up. But, you know, you can take the, the letters L-Y, put them on the end of a word, and just make an adjective. So that's what I've done here. Uh, you, to, to think Christianly is to think in a Christian way. Christians are called to think in a distinctively Christian way. Think about the greatest commandment of all that our Lord Jesus repeated, Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. 
What does it mean to love the Lord with your mind? Well, it's to think in the right way. Think in a way that is pleasing to God. Think in a way that reflects God's own view of the world, that reflects the truth. Or Romans 1, where Paul says to the the Roman Christians, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No longer think in worldly ways, worldly patterns of thought, but now think in terms of Christ. Have a Christian way. Renew your mind Think the way that God wants you to think about the world. So we are called to think Christianly, to think in a distinctive Christian way. And one of the ways that we can do that is by developing and applying what we call a Christian worldview, a Christian way of interpreting and understanding the world and applying our thoughts to the world. Here are some other benefits. Every religion in the world, whether it's well-known or obscure, reflects a worldview. It has a particular take on reality. Every religious tradition, every religious faith reflects some ultimate understanding of the world. Whether it's Islam or Mormonism or Buddhism or Hinduism, they all reflect an underlying worldview, an underlying view of reality and the way things are and the way things should be. And that's not just true of religions. Every secular ideology that has ever been offered in, this, in the history of mankind, will reflect a worldview, or it is, it is growing out of some underlying worldview. Think of some influential secular ideologies that have been uh, affected, uh, affected people in history. Marxism, Darwinism, postmodernism, all of these isms reflect an underlying worldview, a view of ultimate reality, of ultimate truth, of ultimate value, of ultimate meaning. They say different things, but they all reflect a worldview. And so when we, when we look for the worldview, then it helps us to understand other religions and these secular ideologies as well. Thinking in terms of worldviews helps us in a number of ways. Worldview thinking helps us first to understand why people see the world the way they do, why people see the world the way they do, and why there are such disagreements wide disagreements between people who live in very close proximity to one another. Think of a couple of examples here. So uh, a few, I guess uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were remembering uh, 9-11, September 11th, the events of September 11th, 2001. Why is it that some people see those events as an act of mass murder, a moral atrocity, a great evil, whereas other people in the world, at the time, saw it as a great triumph. There were people in certain parts of the world who were were rejoicing at what happened, saying this is a vindication of us. This is a good thing that has happened. Why was there such a vast disagreement, different interpretation of those events? Well, it was to do with the worldviews that people were using to view those events. Or think about the debate over abortion rights, a debate that's been going on for some uh, 40, nearly 50 years in this country, the debate over uh, whether abortion should be legal or illegal and what's the moral status of abortion. Why is there such a a vast divide between the pro-lifers and the pro-choicers, as they call themselves? Well, it's not really a debate over facts. I mean, everybody knows the biological facts about what goes on with a pregnancy and what goes on in a woman's uh, womb during pregnancy. The biological facts are not in dispute. What's in dispute is the interpretation of the facts and how you respond 
to those facts. And that is a matter of worldviews. It's different worldviews that are affecting how people think, that, think about those issues. So worldviews help us to understand why people see the world the way they do. It also helps us to make comparisons between different religions and ideologies. How do you compare Islam with postmodernism? Islam with postmodernism, isn't that like comparing apples and oranges? Well, once you recognize that Islam reflects a worldview and postmodernism reflects a worldview, you can compare those worldviews in a meaningful way. Or how do you compare Mormonism with the new atheism? Mormonism, the new atheism, how would you make a comparison? Well, again, they both reflect worldviews. They're underlying worldviews that make claims about the same kinds of things. And we can line them up and we can make comparisons between different religions and different ideologies. Also, worldview thinking can help us make reasoned evaluations of these different religions and ideologies. If you understand what a worldview is and how to evaluate a worldview, to, to, to assess or critically analyze a worldview, then you know how to evaluate any religion or any ide ideology that you've ever come across. Or or even if you've never come across it before. Suppose that you meet someone and you strike up a conversation and you mention that you're a Christian and they say, oh, that's very interesting. I'm a member of the Unga Bunga religion. And you think, oh, uh, mm, never heard of that before. I, I took a class on world religions. I don't remember them ever talking about that. Well, maybe that's the end of that conversation. Well, no, it doesn't have to be because whatever the Unga Bunga religion is, it's going to have a worldview behind it. There's going to be a, a worldview that it reflects. And if you can talk with this person and understand the worldview behind that religion, then you can, you can make a, a reasoned evaluation of their claims and how they see the world. And then worldview thinking helps us to have constructive conversations with other people. It helps us to have constructive, fruitful conversations with other people, including unbelievers. And that will be my topic this evening when we... If, if you come back this evening, I'm going to talk about how we can actually use the idea of worldviews to have fruitful conversations with people who have very different worldviews from us. Well, let's dive a little deeper now into this idea of worldview. I've explained what a worldview is in general terms, a view of the world, a, a, a network of ultimate beliefs and ideas and values and assumptions. But what actually goes into a worldview? What are the ingredients of a worldview. Or to put it another way, what does it take to make a worldview? I've used this uh, acronym to help people break down a worldview into five areas. It's a, it's a little corny, but I, I think it works. I, I put it this way, what it takes to make a worldview. Here's what it takes to make a worldview. Five things, each of which uses one of the letters of the word takes. A worldview, first of all, has a theology. A theology, that's what the T stands for. T is for theology, has a view of God. A is for anthropology. Anthropology. I apologize for using this awful word, anthropology, but it's the only way I could get another vowel into the acronym, so you'll just have to live with it. I'll explain what I mean by uh, anthropology in just a moment. The K in T-A-K-E-S stands for knowledge. Knowledge. E stands for ethics. And S stands for salvation. So T-A-K-E-S, five 
uh, elements or five categories within a worldview. Theology, anthropology, knowledge, ethics, and salvation. And maybe this acronym will help you to remember this, to call it to mind when, when you're thinking about someone's worldview. Let's go through each of these in turn and look at, look at uh, each one in a little more detail. Starting with theology. Theology. Every worldview has a theology that it has some view of God or of ultimate reality and ultimate authority. We can ask these sort of questions of a person to, to, to find out more about their worldview. We might ask, is there a God? Do you think that there is a God? And if you do, what is God like? Because, of course, if someone says they believe in God, they may not believe in God as you understand God. People can say they believe in God, and it turns out that their conception of God is very different from the, the biblical conception. So is there a God? And if so, what is, what is God like? What are the attributes of God? What are the characteristics of God? And how does God relate to the world? Is God the creator of the world, the transcendent creator of the world? Or is God somehow a force within the world? There's some people who think that God is this force or spirit that pervades the world. And in the most radical form, in some Eastern religions, God and the world are one. The world and God are ultimately one. That's very different from the Christian view. How does God relate to human beings? This is another important question in someone's theology. How does God relate to human beings? Is God distant or is God near to us? Is there a personal relationship that God has with human beings or not? And the most personal and existential question of all, how does God relate to me? That's part of a person's worldview. If there is a God, how does this God relate to me? Now, you might think that theology only applies to religious worldviews and that non-religious worldviews don't have a theology. But the reality is that everyone has a theology. Everyone has a theology, even atheists. They just have a negative theology. They believe certain things about the God that they think doesn't exist. They have a certain conception of the God they believe doesn't exist. And in fact, everyone has a God in this sense. Everyone thinks that there is an ultimate reality and an ultimate authority, even if it's themselves even if a person thinks that they are their own ultimate authority, that is functionally their God. They have a theology. Now, our beliefs about God often obviously affect the way that we think about the world, but our beliefs about ourselves, about human beings, about mankind, are equally significant in our worldview. This is what I call anthropology. Your anthropology is your view of human beings, of mankind. It comes from the Greek word anthropos, meaning man, mankind. So some questions we might ask of a worldview under this heading would be these. What are human beings? What kind of beings are we? Are we just highly evolved apes, basically biological organisms, or is there more to us than that? Are we creatures made in the image of God, as the Bible teaches? What fundamentally are human beings? Where did we come from? What are our origins? Did we evolve from a primordial soup through a long, you know, millions and millions of years of evolution, undirected forces, or were we created, specially created by God? Are we special in any way? Are we different from other organisms? And if so, why? What makes us significant? There are some worldviews that say, no, fundamentally, there's nothing more special about us than there is a squirrel. But there are others that say, no, that we are special, and here's why. Are we here for a reason? A human being is just a cosmic accident in the universe. No one planned for us to be here, but here we are. We just got lucky, or the universe got lucky, or as some people think, 
the universe got unlucky when human beings appeared. Some radical environmentalists think that. But are we here for a reason? Is there a purpose? If so, what is it? Why are human beings here? And are we basically good or are we basically bad? What's our moral status? Are we born good? Are we born bad? Are we born morally neutral? How do we think about human beings? That's the anthropology. And our anthropology and our theology are closely connected because what you think about God will obviously affect what you think about human beings and vice versa. These two parts of a worldview are very intimately connected. Then we have knowledge. This is the K of the T-A-K-E-S, the third area of a worldview. Knowledge is a very important thing. We all agree, I think, that knowledge is better than mere opinion. It's better to know something than just to have an opinion on it. Uh, suppose you have a friend who tells you that swallowing a raw egg every day will add five years to your life. You want to know, do you know that, or is that just your opinion? Is this a hunch that you have, or do you actually know it to be true? Knowledge is an important thing. Knowledge is something worth having. And worldviews will say something about what we can know and how we know it. What can we know about the world? Is it possible to understand the world? Is the world a rational, orderly place that we can actually understand? And what about God? What can we know about God? There are some worldviews that say there is no God, so you can't know anything about God. There are other worldviews that say, yes, there's a God, but you can't actually know anything about God, which if you think about it, is paradoxical, because you would need to know that there was a God in order to know that you couldn't know anything about that God. But then there are other worldviews that say there is a God, and we can know him, and we can know him in this way, through these means. How do we know what we know? Do we know things through our senses? Do we know things through uh, intuitions, through reason? Or is there a divine revelation? Can we know some things through a divine revelation from God, as the Bible teaches? Are there any limits to our knowledge? Can we know a lot of things? And if so, how far can our knowledge extend? And how can we increase our knowledge? What is the best way to increase our knowledge? There are some secular ideologies that say science is the way. Science is the true source of knowledge. If you want to increase your knowledge, then you do science. Science is what will answer all our questions. But then there are other worldviews that say science, science is good, but it's not the only way to increase our knowledge. There are other ways that we can know things about the world and about God. So what does our worldview say about knowledge? Fourthly, ethics. Ethics is the fourth area of a worldview. Everyone has ethical beliefs and ethical assumptions. They have some ideas about morality and moral values and moral standards. You cannot get by in life without ethical beliefs and ethical assumptions. Turn on any cable news channel or just go on some social media platform, if you must. I don't generally recommend it. But, you know, if you use social media, you just browse your social media feed, you will be overwhelmed with ethical opinions, people making ethical judgments, moral judgments about this, about that. People are applying their ethics all the time. People can't help making value judgments. It's just the way that we are built. And that will be traceable to certain ideas in a person's worldview. Here are some of the sort of questions we would ask about someone's ethics, their view of morality. First of all, is morality real or is it illusory? There are some philosophers, some secular philosophers, that say actually all of our moral beliefs are illusory. They're, they're, they're illusions foisted on us by evolution. We think things are right and wrong, but it's just a survival recognition. Not, strictly speaking, nothing is truly right or wrong. That's pretty radical, but some people advocate that. Is morality real or illusory? 
And if it is real, is it objective or subjective? You know how some people say, well, what's right for you may not be right for me. They think morality varies from person to person. It's relative or it's subjective. It's about what you feel. Or do you think the moral norms, moral standards are objective, that they apply to everybody everywhere in the same way? How do we know what is right or wrong? It's one thing to say some things are right and some things are wrong, but how do we know? Where do we get our moral values from? Do we get them from divine scriptures? Do we get them from reason? Do we get them from experience? Do we get them from traditions? What is the source of our moral values? And why should we be good anyway? It's one thing to say this is what it means to live a moral life, but why? Some people say, yeah, I know what right and wrong is, but who cares? Uh, if I can get what I want in life by being immoral, why wouldn't I be immoral? It doesn't pay to be moral. Some people will take that view. Why should we be good? What's the motivation? And are we accountable to anyone or anything? Is there any final judgment where our deeds, we have to give account of our deeds, where we're held responsible for the way that we live? There are some worldviews that say, yes, there is a final accountability. Obviously, the Christian worldview is one of those worldviews. But there are other worldviews that deny that anyone is ultimately accountable to anything. So our beliefs and assumptions about ethics and morality form a major part of our worldview as well, our value system, our moral value system. And then lastly, salvation. The S of the T-A-K-E-S stands for salvation. Now, when we hear this word salvation as Christians, we immediately think of, of the gospel. We think of the work of Christ, his death and resurrection. We think of salvation in a very Christian way, and that, that's good. But when I use it here in terms of worldviews, I'm using it in a more generic sense. Every, every worldview has a view of salvation in this sense. They think they have some view of, of what is wrong with the world and some view about how it's to be fixed, how it's to be put right. Every worldview will have a diagnosis of the basic human problem and some idea about how that's to be addressed, how that problem is to be solved. So to, to identify the salvation aspect of a worldview, we'd, we would ask these sort of questions. First, what is humanity's most serious problem? What's, our fun, what's fundamentally wrong with the world or wrong with human beings? Different worldviews have different takes on what is fundamentally wrong with the world or what our serious problem is. Some people say, just unhappiness. People, people aren't happy or people aren't nice to one another or we're destroying the planet. That's a very pro uh, a prominent view at the moment. What's our most serious problem? Uh, we're going we're gonna to destroy this planet and we're going to destroy life on this planet or we're going to make ourselves extinct, extinct or something like that. And what, if anything, is the solution to the problem? There are some very pessimistic worldviews that say, really, there's nothing that can be done about it. But most worldviews will say, no, here's, here's what needs to be done. Here's the solution to the problem. Are there several solutions? Some worldviews are pluralistic. They will say, there are, many, there are many ways to find salvation. There are many ways to find enlightenment. Eastern religions are a lot like this. Uh, you need to find enlightenment, but there are many paths up the mountain. There are many means by which you can... If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow Buddha, if you want to follow Krishna, they're all different paths of enlightenment. But then there are other worldviews that are exclusivistic and say, no, there's only one solution. Christianity is, of course, such a view. There's only Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And what part do we have to play? If there's a, a problem with us that needs to be solved, what part do we have to play in this? If, uh, if you're a secularist, then you, think, you would say it's all down to us. No one else is going to save us except us. That's why we have to figure out how to, 
how to stop climate change and save the planet and stop people doing this, stop people doing that. Uh, maybe they'll put their faith in government or some sort of organization like that. But secular worldviews typically put everything on us. We, we have to play the whole part in our solution. Religious worldviews will typically say, no, there's, there's, there's God and God can uh, play a role as well. But exactly what role God plays in our salvation will vary from one religious worldview to another. But all worldviews have a view of salvation. Uh, what is wrong with the world? What is fundamentally wrong with the world? And how is it to be put right? And of course, the Bible answers these questions in a very direct and clear way. There's a Christian view of salvation. And likewise, there's an Islamic view. In fact, if you come back tomorrow night, uh, we'll be talking about the Islamic worldview and how, how a Muslim would answer these questions based on their worldview. And there are religious answers and there are secular answers as well. So these, this is a, a diagnosis or an or a analysis of a worldview. There, there are other ways to slice the cake. I'm not saying that, that, that it has to be done this way. But I found this is a, certainly a helpful way for me to think about things, and maybe it's helpful for you as well. What it takes to make a worldview. It has a theology, an anthropology, knowledge, ethics, and salvation. So now you've got some tools. You have an understanding of what a worldview is, fundamentally, and you have an idea of what are the sort of beliefs and assumptions and values that go up, go, go to, uh, to constitute someone's worldview. Well, in the last uh, five minutes that we have here, there's just one more topic that I want to cover, and this is really just to set things up for this evening. If, if you're able to come back this evening and learn some more, then I'm going to be applying some of this uh, to specific worldviews, a couple of non-Christian worldviews that we, we discover, that we encounter in, in the world. So I want to talk just for five minutes about testing worldviews and tools we can use for testing worldviews. There are many, many worldviews out there. Some are more prominent and common than others, but there are many worldviews out there. But not all worldviews are created equal, or I should say all worldviews are not created equal. Some people will say, you know, the pluralistic type will say, well, it really doesn't fundamentally matter what worldview you have. They're all equally valid. But that's not true. Some worldviews are clearly better than others. Some worldviews are superior to others. And at the end of the day, only one worldview can be true. There can only be one worldview that is the right worldview that reflects the way the world really is. Some of you may remember the, that movie, The Highlander. Anyone remember the movie, The Highlander? There can be only one, was the, the slogan of that movie. Well, it's like that with worldviews. At the end of the day, there can be only one. One worldview that must be the true worldview that reflects how things really are. And of course, we believe as Christians that the biblical worldview is that worldview. But how do we, how do we discriminate between worldviews? How do we make judgments that this worldview is superior to that worldview in some way or another? On what basis can we say this worldview is better than that worldview, or that this worldview is the right worldview, and that worldview is not the right worldview. Well, there are certain tests. There are certain tests that we can apply to worldviews to evaluate them. And I'm going to briefly introduce you to four of them that uh, we'll talk more about this evening. But the first, world, the first tool is the tool of coherence. We can test a worldview for, to, to, to determine how well it coheres or fits together well. We can ask this question. Do the individual parts of a worldview fit together well? It has a theology, an anthropology, knowledge, ethics, and salvation. Do the different components of a worldview tie together well? Do they cohere well? 
or do they not? Actually, many worldviews, it turns out, don't cohere. They have views of theology that don't fit with their view of ethics, that don't fit with their view of knowledge. There are incoherences in many non-Christian worldviews that we can, we can expose. So the first tool is the tool of coherence. Secondly, there's the tool of explanation. The tool of explanation. We can ask this question. Can this worldview explain some of the, things, the basic things that we take for granted? Why does the universe exist at all? Why is the universe an orderly, rational place? Why do human beings have the faculties that we do, our ability to reason? Why is it that there are moral values? Why is it that some things are right and some things are wrong? Why is it that human beings have dignity and, and we should care for one another and so forth? There are many, many things that human beings take for granted about reason, about existence, about morality, about purpose. And some worldviews can explain them, and other worldviews can't. And that's another tool that we can use. The, tool, the third tool is the tool of livability. livability. Some worldviews seem great in theory, but they're impossible to live out in practice. So one question we can ask of a worldview is, can this worldview be lived out consistently in practice? It's one thing to say, well, it's, it's logically consistent with itself, but is it something that you can actually live out on a day-to-day -day basis? Can you, can you walk the talk with this worldview? There are some worldviews that you can live out in practice. There are others, many more than you might imagine, that once you try and follow through their implications, it's impossible to live them out in practice. It would lead to absurd or utterly immoral actions in the world if we followed them out uh, consistently. And then the last tool is tool number four. It's what I call the tool of hope, the tool of hope. Everybody needs hope. Everybody is looking for hope. In fact, I was reading just, uh, just this week an article about uh, some, somebody, uh, some secular journalist was writing about how there's no hope. <laughs> Saying there's, there's, there's no hope in the world. People, people want to hope in things, but they have nothing to hope for anymore. People want to hope for the future, particularly death. Is, is there anything beyond death that you can hope for? People need hope in the present because they're suffering. They're struggling. They have trials in their lives. Things are not going the way they want. Uh, sometimes they're... Ex experiencing excruciating suffering in their lives, and they want hope. Am I going to get through this? Is there any meaning to this? Or is this just purposeless, meaningless suffering, and that's all this world is about? People need hope. So we can ask of a worldview, does it offer hope? Does it offer hope for the present, in the face of trials and suffering? Does it offer hope for the future, particularly beyond the grave? Because that's ultimately where everyone knows that they're headed. They may not face up to it, but we're all headed for the grave. Does this worldview offer any hope beyond that in the future? These are some tools that we can use to test worldviews, and I suggest that they are some very powerful tools that we can use to show people that ultimately the Christian worldview is the only worldview that really makes sense of the world, of our experience of the world, and offers the kind of hope and fulfillment that people are searching for in this world. And that's because the Christian worldview is true. It reflects the world as it really is, unlike these false ways of thinking. So that's my introductory talk on, on worldviews. And I'll be, I'll be mentioning a little bit of some of this in my message this morning from the scriptures. And, and we'll be applying some of it to some issues this evening and tomorrow evening as well. So thank you for listening. Let me just close us in, in prayer. 
Father, we thank you for the time that we spent this morning. I pray that it uh, will be uh, useful and helpful to people here. Uh, We thank you that you have given us the ability to think, that you've given us minds to understand this world. And we pray that we would think in a way that is pleasing to you, that we, we, we would think your thoughts after you and honor you with our minds by applying a biblical Christian worldview to every aspect of our lives, not just on Sundays, but in all that we do, we will be seeing things through the lens of the